Welcome to this week's episode of RVH Arts Municipal Mania, heard every Wednesday on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. We're on at 11 a.m. We want to say a quick shout out to Jessie, who's not here, and rightly so, because it's her birthday. It's her birthday. Happy 30th, my friend. She just opened her own business. Yep. Yep. Had opening last week. And she's been busier than this little bee, so we're giving her a break. But we love her, and happy 30th can't wait to spend 30 more years annoying the crap out of you yay we get to continue with our district series, which I'm really excited about. So we're going to have our guests introduce themselves. First up, we have... Jonathan Young, school board member, 4th District. All right. And what schools do you represent? I have the privilege of representing six schools, including the largest school in the city of Richmond, specifically Huguenot High School, along with Lucille Brown, Elkhart Thompson. Elkhart Thompson for at least another year or two years before it's relocated. We can talk about that later. And then three elementary schools, including Westover Hills, Southampton, Fisher. All All right. right. That's quite a bit. That's exciting. And who else do we have with us today? Kristen Larson, 4th District City Council Rep. And what neighborhoods does that encompass? Oh my gosh, what neighborhoods? Um, Southampton, Westover Hills, Stratford Hills, Pine Needles, Forest Hill neighborhood, Forest View neighborhood, Westover Gardens, Stony Point. Yeah, you got a lot going on in yeah, there. Both I, of y'all have a lot I, going I, on I have, in the forest. I have more. They're, <laughs> they're all fabulous. <laughs> oh, you'll give Liz Dore a little run for her money. She says it's first and fabulous. Maybe it's fourth and fabulous. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> fourth and fantastic. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, what drove you both uh, to run in that crazy 2016 election? It was it was was a little crazy. Um, And in the fourth district, you know, it's always a crowded field. So um, I was on school board. I was the elected rep prior to running for city council. And Kathy Graziano had been in that seat for a decade or more. A minute. Yes. (laughs) She'd been there a while. So it was an open seat. And um, I had had the pleasure of working with city council during my time on the school board. And I felt like I could do even more good for the city in that new seat. How about you, Jonathan? So you're probably talking to the proudest advocate for the city of Richmond you'll ever meet. And to say that unabashedly, I love this town, lived here my whole life, except four years down in undergrad at Williamsburg. And and I shared with a lot of people at the doorstep that in every regard, we've changed, right? I mean, I remember the bad days and candidly, in full disclosure, even in the bad days, I was still out there like a cheerleader bragging on Richmond, despite all of our shortcomings, right? I mean, we were recognized for our crime deficiencies. We were were recognized for a lot of pockets of the city where there was zero home ownership, uh, where we had open drug markets, where candidly council, uh, the first and and third or second or fourth Monday of every month was the best entertainment on on TV for all the wrong reasons. And we've turned the page. In every regard, we've turned the page. And we know that. We've earned all kinds of accolades in the last couple of decades as it relates to this town. But the one thing that 
in my opinion, that we haven't we haven't improved on in a substantive way regards Richmond Public Schools, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I uh, somebody who both of my parents are teachers, my uh, my sister is a teacher, and I have the privilege of working with awesome young people down at Virginia State University. I've done it be twelve years in November, and uh, and so when my when my colleague seated across from me, uh, when she uh, rightfully made the decision to run for council, and I'm glad that she did. Uh, I uh, I knew that I I couldn't uh, I couldn't adequately fill her uh, her big shoes but uh, that I would give it my best shot <laughs> so now where we're at we've you guys have been, both been sitting in your respective seats for about two years so what do you feel like and let's let's be real transparent about it let's think about some of your campaign promises what of those things have you fulfilled and what things are still kind of in the moving yeah so uh, so when I ran for office I was really intentional about identifying 10 very specific goals. Obviously, my the cumulative or exhaustive list is uh, something significantly more than that. But anything more than ten, and folks' eyes start to glaze over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so some of the things that um, that uh, I've focused on a laser beam included, for example, prioritizing prioritizing our schools. And what I mean by that is shifting more of our resources to our schools in lieu of downtown. So I don't think it's a surprise uh, to uh, to anyone around this table. That uh, when when Jason, when our superintendent Jason Cameras, when we hired him, I initially started to advocate for what uh, uh, what I would characterize as uh, as an intentional shift in monies to the schools, specifically uh, budget cuts to downtown. Jason said to me, was, "This was before he assumed the position. Even he's like, Jonathan, I just started. It's like I don't, you know, I don't even know where the bathroom's at. You know, I can't, I can't <laughs> advocate for for these kind of cuts to downtown this first budget. But he said, but I like them. But I like them. He said, give me time. We're gonna do this. And uh, and and we hired Jason. I voted for Jason. I hired Jason for a reason, and he's a person of his word. And and uh, and so we did that. So we adopted thirteen million dollars in cuts to downtown. And it's not for cutting for cutting's sake, but instead because it allows us to shift more resources to the schools. But most importantly, really, it's really not even about the money. It's really about what our values are, right? So for example, I think at nausea, I refer to all of our principals as CEOs. And the reason I do that is because I'm, I want to convey that. The persons in the buildings are the folks, the people closest to the students. They're the ones who are doing it. As much as I admire and respect some of our people downtown, it's our principals, it's our assistant principals, it's our custodians, it's our teachers, it's the people in the buildings who really drive the train. So um, anyhow, that was a really long answer, but that's uh, that's <laughs> one of the more prominent prominent campaign commitments. Campaign commitments. Um, I have a a couple things that I feel like I have made some movement on. I don't know if you can ever say, gosh, I solved that problem 100%. I nailed it. We can just (laughs) check that box and move on because I feel like we're always working to improve whatever the issue is. Um, But a a couple of things that that I've done, um, one which has been kind of quietly out there is uh, the ethics task force, which um, I did in my first six months. I introduced a piece of legislation to get a group of folks to come in and look at um, conflicts of interest and ethics issues in our city. And this was based on um, the stuff that happened in the Jones administration towards the end and how he had some members of the church working in the administration. And there were some questions about that. And Mike Herring put out a report and it was really, he made some recommendations, but there was nothing illegal that happened. But um, 
you know, going back to what Jonathan said about the history of government in the city, I think that we need to be striving to improve public trust in our government. And so that's kind of why I sought that out and did that. And they just released a final report. So we'll be, I'll be working with my colleagues to put forward some of that legislation that hopefully we can get voted on and, you know, in the pipeline again. You know, mm-hmm. little bit of movement, but you still need more. And <laughs> there's always there's always room to to improve on that. Another huge issue in in my the fourth district, and we have a ton of parks in our district, which makes our district amazing and unique. And um, in my first year, there was an issue with a water tank proposal in Laris Park. So I had met with the administration. They said. This project has been vetted in the community. I talked to the community. The community knew nothing about it. So we pumped the brakes a little bit. We went back. We did the community meetings. And it was, you know, it was tough to kind of find some middle ground on this issue. But what happened was we found a piece of land that was adjacent to Laris Park that the city put in an option to buy. So as part of this deal to take... 1.2 acres of the parkland for the water tank, which was a public need and necessity and all that. We were able to grow the park by 18 acres. So it was a win, I think, for our community. Obviously, it would have been great if we could have left the park undisturbed, but we expanded the park by 18 acres, and the community is really excited about it. Yeah, you actually did. In my opinion, you did a very good job handling that situation because I know that when the environment and our parks come into play, um, we have citizens that get real riled up, mm-hmm. you know, and it's hard to kind of maintain your composure in the face of that. But you did a really great job. So thank you. Yeah, it's it's definitely a balance. And I use our parks. I personally am in our parks. I, that's one of the reasons I love living and representing this area is because of the access that we have to the parks. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, I know. I wish my district had half the half the parks. Mm-hmm. Where are you? I'm in the sixth and I'm in Highland Park. Huh? But oh. we don't really we have little tiny pocket parks. Right. We have itty bitties. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, but no like Forest Hill Park is is fairly grand. Lovely. You yes. think about it. It you is. Know. Laris Park, you've got a lot of <laughs> we do wilderness we have and untouched stuff to walk through and so a lot of passive parks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way to put it. Mm-hmm. It is. Jonathan. Yes, ma'am. There are a lot of tensions right now with school board. Um, Which is not a new no. phenomenon. No. We've got, <laughs> some, we've got some on city council, too. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we've got competing letters going out about school construction costs. We've had some recent buzz about some some of these CEOs you were talking about earlier that post a performance plan have been, you know, asked to step down. How are you handling these, I guess, mishaps never and disagreements? A, never a dull moment. <laughs> <laughs> so first, I think it's really important to note that anytime that you introduce change and you're very serious about introducing change, there are, there are going to be uh, a lot of uh, Candidly, there are going to be some winners and losers, right? And uh, and for me, uh, I think it's really important that we prioritize we prioritize our winners uh, first and foremost. Be the students, twenty five thousand students. Second, we prioritize our two thousand and some teachers uh, as relates to the latter. You know, one of the things that would drive me crazy on the campaign trail when when someone would uh, say at the doorstep something akin to the following: "Oh, you know, Jonathan, the issue is that we're unable to secure or recruit good teachers." And I would look at them and just 
say, you know, that's that's ridiculous. It's like, that's not true at all. Our challenge is we can't retain enough of our teachers. Specifically, we lose in a year about one-fifth, about 22% of our uh, teachers year over year, and that's just unacceptable. But to address your question more specifically, we're building three new schools, and we're really excited about that, and we're going to spend a lot of money to, uh, to do it, rightfully so. But the shortcoming and the recent shortcoming has regarded the fact that there are some folks that uh, seem unwilling or unprepared to ask really tough questions in regards to a lot of money. So initially, when we uh, when we identified the opportunity to build these schools, we projected a cost pursuant to what, for example, our uh, our architects and engineers had projected at one hundred and ten million dollars. Mm -hmm. In the six months since then, that cost has ballooned by $30 million. And what I, for the life of me, cannot understand to address your inquiry is why everyone in this town, why everyone in this town, including first and foremost, arguably persons in a position of public trust, wouldn't be asking really hard questions in regards to what do we attribute those costs uh, that the that $30 million increase in cost to, and if those are genuine increases. So, you know, I think candidly, like a lot of things in life, the truth is somewhere in between. Hmm. The initial cost estimates, I think that I'm referring to the initial initial cost estimates that mm -hmm. were put together in 2017 for our consideration by our past COO, then interim superintendent, Tommy Krantz, I think those initial estimates were, were off. I think they were too low. In the same regard, these new costs or these new estimates, I think are too high. And to be frank, my assessment or my critique or my gut instinct, however you want to characterize it, arguably was affirmed at our most recent meeting a week ago when we hosted representatives of the JCT, our joint construction team, and we asked them some really tough tough questions pertinent to those numbers. And among other things, what they said in brief at the risk of getting into the weeds is that we can anticipate that within four to six weeks, so now three to five weeks, uh, that were a week later. In three to five weeks now, we can anticipate proposals. They will come back to my colleagues and me, and they will present what is characterized as value engineering, opportunities to reduce those costs. Okay. And when I inquired what that could look like, the number, which granted was a little arbitrary, which in fairness you would anticipate, but the, that number was anywhere from like maybe two to $3 million per school. So my colleagues and I, we have an opportunity to, in about a month, to reduce those costs. Now look, I anticipate that we'll be presented a series of options, some that will pass muster and some that perhaps won't. But if we can save, if we can save somewhere in the range of perhaps seven, eight million dollars, then that's some significant, that's, that's a lot more bricks and mortar that we can renovate other schools yeah. and or build on a lot faster. So, you know, I, I think persons have different approaches. I get that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's really imperative that everyone in Richmond be on board and be steering in the same direction. And frankly, I think by and large, we, we are. But I'm referring specifically to uh, to paddling in the same direction in regards to getting as many of our students and as many of our teachers and staff into brand new space as soon as very possible. In all things uh, being equal, this is an opportunity to reduce some of those uh, some of the costs relevant to those those first three new schools. Kristen, <laughs> you've been on school board. Yes. And as well, you've been on city council. And as we know, historically, it just, it always continues. There's always disagreements. Mm -hmm. School board, when you were on it, I'm sure you came to loggerheads with your, um, your colleagues at times. Occasionally. But it seems like 
even though in the 2016 election cycle, everybody was saying, oh, no, kumbaya, we're all going to work together. There still seems to be quite a bit of strife between certain factions on school board and Uh on city council. How did you handle yourself on school board? And do you transfer that over to city council or is it a totally different beast? Um, I I do feel like school board was a little bit of a different animal than city council. So on school board, it really it, it is it's an extremely tough job and um, you don't have staff support. The schools have um, their staff for the school board is the school board clerk mm-hmm. and a, a clerk's assistant. But right, don't, you don't you guys don't have liaisons or anything yeah, like that. Yes, on, school on, board, yeah. on city council, school we have board, right. liaisons. We have a city council staff, so we have analysts. We have folks who s- support our meetings and um, research issues for us. I mean, when I found out people could research stuff for us, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, was, can you I was imagine? If, can you imagine if the school board had the same resources? Yeah, uh. yeah. I mean, it it really was a little shocking to walk in and have a full-time assistant as well as staff who can support, you know, if I think of something, okay, legislatively that I've seen in another city or just an idea I have, I have folks who I can bounce this off of in my staff who are, you know, subject matter experts. It's it's mind-boggling. However, we are, there is a lot that comes at us. And as you all know, we have a lot of committees, we have a lot of other boards that we sit on. Uh-huh. So it is very time consuming. Yeah, it always amazes me that they make it a part time job when in actuality, it really is full. T- Both of them yes. really should be full time jobs. But that's it just is, my it humble is not opinion. a part time job no. at all. Um, and I think it would be very challenging to hold a full time job and do this. And right. I think there's only one council member who does that. And they have Crazy a, pants. <laughs> and and they have a really supportive employer. Um, right. But getting back to your question, uh, so when there's disagreements, I would say when there's personal disagreements, I do try to work them out. I personally like to work them out not in public. Um, that's not the preference of everyone. So you know, sometimes you just got to feel your way with that. Um, I think this city council has been interesting because when I was on school board from 20, 2012 or 2013, we started to 2016, we had a very strong voting block. And it was, I worked with some amazing folks, Kim Gray, Jeff Bourne, Glenn Sturdivant. We just had a lot of energy and momentum. Don Coleman, mm-hmm. who I dearly miss. Um, and it was, it was really good. And the city council, so it's different. It's a different energy when you also have your liaisons because a lot of times you're working with liaisons or staff and not necessarily directly with each other. Where on school board, you're really working with your school board colleagues close on mm-hmm. figuring out the weeds of things, right? And on city council, I haven't really seen in the past two and a half years a real strong voting block evolve have you all no <laughs> no and so no. we try to predict it sometimes you can kind of predict it and but then sometimes i, th- I think there's predictable yeah. issues it throws you right loop. Yeah. yeah but um so i've kind of approached city council like 
it's open. Uh-huh. And I feel like I have decent relationships with everybody. I feel like there's people on city council who I feel like we're a little more like-minded uh-huh. than some other folks. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Just we right. tend to gravitate towards the same, same voting. Yeah, everybody's different. Yeah. So I... Especially when I have an issue that is coming up that I feel like we need to rally around, I just try to reach out to everybody. Um, And I haven't, I've had some differences here and there. Again, I've tried to work them off, work them out off camera, but I don't feel like I've had anything really dramatic but it it, it, (laughs) oh no it's not you that makes the (laughs) gossip (laughs) I will say it, it does get tough because as a as a public official there's a lot there's a lot of eyes on you right and then when things become emotional or personal yeah and you feel like somebody's questioning your integrity Mm -hmm. that becomes hurtful and you react in an emotional way and it's like all bets are off (laughs) everybody hears about it the next day Yeah, yeah I feel like sometimes school board is treated like the the stepchild of our government and not really given the resources that they need to be as transparent as they can be. Because so for city council, we've got this huge room where everybody can sit in and not suffocate. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't smell like feet. And it's not blazing hot. And we've got and video we can feed see and you TV feed. Live, What's wrong with real feet? time. Right? No. Live, real time, streaming Same. multiple different ways. Yeah, But we don't have that same thing for school board. And sometimes school board meetings run into council meetings. They're run over top of each other. Would you be willing to advocate for maybe a change of meeting day, Jonathan, or a live feed for you guys or a bigger room or a fan? (laughs) I uh, I'd like to I'd like to do something a lot more than that. And something that, frankly, so yours truly had the privilege of chairing a a committee, an ad hoc committee relative to good governance. And we came up with 29 recommendations, 29 tangible recommendations. And I'm not going to bore the listeners because I would probably do that if we were to share a litany of what they constitute. It's <laughs> okay. We all love to read PDFs and things. So. <laughs> You're in the right spot. <laughs> Early <Continue>. so. <laughs> but among other things, we identified, for example, that I think uh, and I think that there was some consensus around uh, around the room that there's an opportunity to improve in regards to, for example, convening more of our meetings at our schools, getting out of City Hall, where, frankly, for a lot of people, either right, wrong, or indifferent, perception, I don't know, but parking is sometimes people will say, well, we have some challenges relative to parking. So uh, we identified, one, that perhaps we can take the show on the road, for lack of a better description, but two, arguably more importantly, and something that that matters a lot to, to yours truly, is just how we do business. And what I mean by that is that I don't I, I personally, and there's some difference of opinion in regards to my colleagues on the subject, but I, I personally feel like when we all sit up there like like little kings that we're not, uh-huh. and we're sitting up there on the dais and we are we are speaking to any issue, so frequently I feel like people, whether they intend to or not, they're just relying on talking points and they're really they're really talking past each other. And I think that's most unfortunate, and it inhibits the opportunity to collaborate and be collegial and to get things done. So 
<clears throat> frankly, I thought one way for us to improve is if instead, not in like kind of what we're doing here today, but we just arrange the chairs differently, right? So I really believe, so one of the benefits or advantage of, of teaching is that, so <clears throat> I need to share with you. So first of all, I don't, my students, they're not allowed to sit down. I would get rid of, if I had my way, I'm a radical on the subject, uh, in full disclosure, I'd get rid of chairs all, all together in the classroom. And the reason for that is that because, in my opinion, people do their best work when they're engaged, when they're on their feet, and they're experiencing something. You know, Confucius said on the, on the subject 3,000 years ago, I think, I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I experience and I understand. And the relevance to good governance for the school board is that when we have and it's been infrequent, granted, but mm -hmm. when we have sat around a table and we actually look at each other's eyes in a way that's a little more intimate than where we're all sitting up there on the stage, for lack mm -hmm. of a better description, in my opinion, we just have a more substantive dialogue and it does diminish some of the theatrics that I think mm -hmm. both of you are referring to earlier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think when, when an organization either goes off the rails or is tempted to veer off the rails, it happens obviously for one of two reasons. One, either because of the people in the room, and that's just par for course, but two, it often happens just because of process and because of the way that processes were aligned, developed, and that can include something as simple as how do you arrange the chairs in the room? Just some, just some food for thought that we've had an opportunity to del deliberate on the school board. How have you guys, if you have, um, if you haven't, it's fine. How have you guys collaborated or worked together as a district to get things done, especially now that we're in budget season? I'm sure if it Ooh, hasn't happened, those conversations are probably going to start happening soon. You know, how are you guys meeting or coming to each other's maybe district meetings or so on and so forth? Like, how, what does that look like for the fourth district? So Jonathan and I see each other frequently <laughs> um, because we have all these neighborhood meetings and he always gives an update at my district meeting. Um, we have not had a personal conversation in the weeds about the, the budget and what that looks like. And, mm. you know, on city council, we'll be getting into the thick of that over the next two weeks. <laughs> Who's um, excited? <laughs> we are. But it's, uh, you know, Jonathan has expressed his thoughts about where how he feels about the budget and everything. And so I, I think we, you know, occasionally there's emails to to sort out issues and he's always super responsive. And like I said, we bump into each other, if not a couple times a week. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't think of a better partner. And I'm not saying that because she's sitting across from me. <laughs> I'm serious, I say that in all sincerity. I've, I mean, uh, Kristen has been an awesome advocate for the fourth district on council, and she's been a terrific partner for years truly. And and uh, you know, I can think of all different kinds of of issues. I mean, frankly, we just had a conversation a moment ago about school construction, and Kristen, she gave me the heads up uh, that she was going to be introducing, she was going to be introducing legislation in city council. This is last year in twenty. 2018 sometime, this regarded schools building schools mm -hmm. in lieu of what was done in the preceding administration. And I think we are, Kristen and I are likely very 
how do I say, we are, because of Huguenot High School and some of the deficiencies uh, I'm referring to, among other things, for example, everybody around the table knows that we had to replace a brand new a brand new gym floor, and mm -hmm. we had to spend it was something $180,000 to do it. Very mm -hmm. sad, right. So <clears throat> for perhaps because of those reasons, uh, Kristen and I are very aware of uh, some of the challenges relative to the process that ultimately was adopted. I, I say that to say that, that Kristen introduced an outstanding piece of legislation. It was passed by our colleagues, and yours truly introduced that in, in the school board. Disappointed that more of my colleagues didn't support it, but but yeah, she's a she's a terrific colleague. Awesome. I like to hear this teamwork. It's oh, so nice. It's teamwork makes the dream work. That's right. It's <laughs> so true. Yes, <laughs> it does. It does. So while we're on talking about budget a little bit, uh, we've heard you know some comments going back and forth, and we've heard some I don't know if we'd call it criticism or not, um, but some comments you've made, um, Jonathan, about Superintendent Cameras's bromance with. Uh, Mayor Stoney's budget, and while this isn't necessarily a, a strictly partisan, you know, um, issue, it seems very political. You know, outside of people's opinion on whether camera should or shouldn't, you know, do that per se. What is the governing policy for the superintendent's engagement in politics? Because he does some things. You know, he testifies before um, general assembly legislation hearings on things. You know, what what do you think? What do you think about that? Yeah, so I am, and, and I share with Jason, and I share with all of our principals and all of our leaders that I want them to be very entrepreneurial. And what I mean when I say that is I want them to, so what's an entrepreneur? It's somebody who takes a lot of risk. It's somebody who uh, understands that it's okay to fail if in failing you you learn how to to succeed. Someone who, somebody who is, uh, who is willing to defy orthodoxy and mm -hmm. uh, conventional norms, somebody who's prepared to go out there in the skinny little ledge at, mm -hmm. at risk to their welfare. And frankly, that's the kind of person, persons, plural, that we need in Richmond Public Schools. So to be per perfectly blunt with you, and, and I, am at, I diverge with some of my colleagues on this subject, but I don't have any problem whatsoever with the superintendent and or any of my colleagues speaking to any issue and being very, very vocal about it because to be perfectly bl blunt, I'm a big boy and I can, <laughs> I've got, you can tell, a perfect set of lungs and can speak up for myself. And, and so, I, you know, I, I think that what is important is that uh, we always, that we always provide everyone to, to do what the what the American experiment has uh, has demonstrated uh, over and over again works best, which is when people have an opportunity to have a genuine debate, a, res a re respectable uh, debate on the topics, on the subject matter, then generally the best idea wins, right? Mm -hmm. I think when we, when we fall short in this town and or anywhere else is when it does become personal. And I recognize that uh, sometimes it's uh, it's easy to it's easy to subscribe to to the latter, but but I you know so in regards to our superintendent, uh, and a lot of people I don't know this uh, maybe, but uh, I don't think that there's anyone who's a bigger fan of Jason Cameron and Jonathan Young. I absolutely love what he what he does, and I mean I'll give you a perfect example. I mean I sent him a note today. And I uh, was commending him on his, his column. I don't know if you had an opportunity to see it in the Richmond Times-Dispatch. I, I disagree with his 
uh, with what he is prescribing uh, in in regards to supporting the mayor's real estate tax increase proposal. But everything that immediately preceded that prescription, I absolutely agree with him on and how he has increased accountability and is changing the culture. Specifically, for example, when he spoke to, in the past, in my opinion, city City Hall, I'm referring to RPS central mm-hmm. office often, and I don't think that this critique is limited to RPS. I think this is probably this is probably the case in a lot of school districts. Folks, you know, I have to say it this way. So on the campaign trail, a lot of times people would say, well, Jonathan, maybe we just need to get different people or better people downtown in the central office. And I would, my retort was, well, I don't think that's the issue because frankly, we secure all kinds of awesome people and they go downtown, but there's something about when people put on that different hat and they're hmm. no longer in the school building, their values change and their hmm. perspectives change. That's interesting. So, um, so I say all that in the con- I say all that in the context that Jason has been uh, and has been promoting for over a year that downtown is there to serve the schools, mm-hmm. and it's not the other way around. So, uh, so Jason is amazing. He's doing an extraordinary job. Uh, has he and will he continue to advocate for some things that uh, that I that I disagree with? Of course, but I don't have a problem saying it uh, to him or to anybody else. And and uh, and I know for a fact that uh, that he respects that. Yo, yo, <laughs> what's up? It's Michael is here, and you're listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Wow. All right, are you ready? <laughs> is this the lightning round? Yeah, no. <laughs> I am not going to be good at that. Oh, gosh, you're fine. <laughs> well, so. <laughs> um, the budget lightning round. No, right. so we, we do have to talk about budget. Yeah. You know, because that really, that's all anybody's talking it, about like, right it's now. It's all that's on my mind. So. Of course it is. I mean, how could it not? Right. I'm sure you dream about it and then you wake up all frustrated that you I mean, didn't have it completely worked out in your dream. I mean, right? nightmares. <laughs> You've looked at it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Digested it all that. You've seen those binders, right? Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 What is it? I think this year it was 800 pages. Yeah. Yeah, last year it was like six something. So yeah, so we, we go get through. we get through it as best as we can. And um, I know there's it's always some on the PDF. It yeah. really is. Yeah, but I know there's always some hot button issues or uh-huh. things that really stick out to you. Mm-hmm. You know, in proposed budgets mm-hmm. every year, what sticks out to you this year, madam? Do I, do I really have to say it, or doesn't everybody know I, the real right. estate tax? Right, mm-hmm. the nine cent real estate tax. And how does that strike you? It, it's bananas. I just was shocked when it was introduced. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't get a pre-mating ahead of time, mm-hmm. which has happened um, years in the past. And so I think an article came out in the RTD maybe an hour before we had the budget presentation saying there was going to be a tax increase, which mm-hmm. did not shock me. Right. And I had heard something about the cigarette tax, which I had already voted for the previous year. Already, so I right. thought, oh, so that one, that's, okay. that's great because 
maybe if the mayor's proposing it, it it'll be right. more palatable to five of us instead of three. Right, and it's fifty cents instead of eighty. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Um. So I was honestly shocked during his speech, and I think after he said nine cent real estate tax, which was somewhere in the first third of his speech, like everything kind of went. And then Fuzzy? your eyes started to twitch a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, like we were talking about earlier with the personalities, we all kind of react differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I needed to process it for sure afterwards. But I will say, as I left, you know, our seats up there and went down into the audience and, you know, folks always talk afterwards. Mm-hmm. I will say uh, several of the folks who are not in the government, who are not paid employees by the schools or the city, also look like they had been smacked in the face and seem somewhat shocked to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is what I've been hearing a lot ever since. And I think there is, with this real estate tax increase, there is a sense by a lot of the people that this proposal is excessive, one, and also out of touch with how it's going to impact the residents of our city. Because this, on top of assessments, which are just, it is what it is, you know, that's not something we vote on, it's just organic and the the market drives it, as well as the utility increases, you're talking about not just a $200 real estate tax increase, you're talking about something that looks more like five, six, seven hundred dollars per household mm. in the city. That's significant. Across the board. Yeah. Especially to folks on fixed incomes where they right. do their entire year's budget around their property taxes, etc. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the fourth district has a lot of folks who are, you know, more middle income. However, we do have a lot of seniors. Mm-hmm. I think we have the largest population of seniors in the city. And I I have gotten some calls. A lot of folks have lived in their homes for 40 years and want to age in place. Mm -hmm. And so you might not look at their home or look at where they live and say, gosh, they're, you know, right on the edge. But, for example, this one resident I talked to, she said, Kristen, you know, I... Made, she made a little bit over the threshold for the senior tax relief. Oh, wow. Like $500 over it. Yeah. She said, I'm one house incident away from, yeah. from being forced out of my home. Mm. And this is where I've lived for decades. And I don't want to sell my house. I know that if I sold my house, I'd get a lot of money for it because right. you know the price has increased and all that but, but she's going to pay you same increase to go somewhere else exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> and doesn't level out once you've lived in a community for a long time that's your home you okay. know that's your drugstore that's your park you go to that's yeah. your church you go to and so it, i think we need to recognize everything that's going on with our residents mm-hmm. and try and see if we can make this all work with the additional revenue that is coming in without 
implementing the nine cent real estate tax. Now, is it the amount, do you think, or is it just the the proposal in general? What if he had said, you know, um, and I think this is the largest substantial increase since since the recession. Since yeah, since mm-hmm. you know recession. So let's say if he'd proposed maybe not nine cent, maybe if it was half that amount. Um, maybe I wouldn't have been as shocked. Okay. But I'm still not supportive of a tax increase right now. Okay. So being as we are hamstrung by the Dillon rule in a lot of areas, do you have any proposals maybe that could bring extra revenue Mm -hmm. into the city, into schools that would not cause, um, you know, such strife and upheaval in Mm -hmm. certain communities? Right. So here's one. Why don't we sell some of the properties that we're not using in RPS, right? So we just formulated a committee that uh, the intent is to do precisely that. I mean, for example, we have a We have a facility sitting on a gold mine, I'm referring to Arthur Ashe Center, that I'm convinced we could probably net something like $12 million for. $12 million would go a really long way in regards Mm -hmm. to erecting new bricks and mortar, new capital outlay for Richmond Public Schools. Yeah, you know, I mean, what Kristen said is spot on. I mean, altogether, what the mayor's proposed amounts to approximately $50 million tax increase. And keep in mind, you put that in context of the budget. I mean, the entire city budget is about seven hundred and fifty million dollars. Right. We're not talking about a little bit of. We're not talking about a little bit of money, but but rather, I think that uh, I think your inquiry is 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 the right one. There are demands. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of demands, including Richmond Public Schools, for for additional revenue, and so I think instead we have to be really, really uh, uh, judicious in regards to the resources we have and ensure that we're stretching every dollar and frankly at the risk of belaboring the point why our preceding conversation relative to the erection of these new schools and the spending something in the range of if it's 110 140 million dollars why that conversation is so very important Uh, so regarding additional revenue um city council is going to be talking about that over the next two weeks Mm -hmm. i think that the proposed 50 cent cigarette tax could be more like 80, which is what we had discussed last year. I honestly don't know if the votes are there for it, but I think that that is a doable amount. We're the only city in the Commonwealth that does not have a cigarette tax. And so each year we put it off. It is a declining revenue, but it's it's $3 million at 50 cents, and it's $5 million-ish at 80 cents a pack. And there's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding what would happen if this tax was implemented that, you know, people need to calm down about. I I think what would happen is we'd have either an additional 5 million or an additional 3 million. Right. (laughs) Or somewhere in between that. And that would be fabulous. And I, I understand there, yes, there is a lot of opinions about this. I just think we need to rip the Band-Aid and do it. I think Mm. being the only city in Virginia that does not utilize this revenue. And as you mentioned, we are a Dillon state. So people sometimes get confused and say, you know, why don't you tax this or do that? And we only have the authority to tax certain things. Right. So one other thing that's out there, um, and I don't think we've talked about it that much publicly, but the mayor did mention it in his speech, is these um, tax delinquent properties that we auction off 
So city council changed the legislation, I guess, about six months ago and put in there that each property that gets bought has to have a development agreement or plan Mm -hmm. with it. So the intent there was good. Ellen Robertson put it in. Her intent was to get the properties developed. I don't want Kristen to buy a property and then sit on it for a decade because that doesn't do good things for our community. Yeah. Um, And in her district, especially, I mean, because I live in it, it's we're full of it. Yeah. We're full of you want these houses, empty houses, just do something with it. We need housing. The unintended consequence, which is the rhetoric you always hear from politicians. There is it does happen sometimes. Mm -hmm. The unintended consequence is it brought this program to a screeching halt. So the mayor took that revenue out of his proposal. So I have been talking with the staff and I think a couple other council members, too, about adding it back in, which would add back in another $3 million. And I think we can add it back in, you know, jumpstart it, just kind of, okay, let's get it back on the books and move it forward the way it was moving forward before, and then circle back and work on the development piece, which I think is just going to take longer to get in place. It's a good thing, but the way we wrote it on paper mm-hmm. has been not good for this program. And, so. and, and these these 10-year uh, <clears throat> pass-on from owner-to-owner tax abatement right. deals. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's the tax abatement? <laughs> Do you... You can talk about it. I'll I'll talk about it it for two minutes because honestly, we should come back and do a big Mm -hmm. thing on that. Happy Um, to have you talk about that. Because I don't don't know. It'll be interesting to see if that comes up during our amendment discussions Mm -hmm. um, this week or next week. Um, the, The impact of revenue to our general fund, if we were to stop that, is delayed. So I think right now, at least from my perspective, I'm looking for how can I get us more money faster? Exactly. How can I back us away from the nine cent real estate tax increase, but not cut everything broadly in in the budget? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I still feel like there are some cuts to be made. Sure, but maybe not one and a half percent across the board. <laughs> so I think the tax abatement program that we need to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I don't know if that will be a discussion during the budget process. It might be after for, okay, then we'll incorporate it in the fiscal year 21 budget. Get all those coins. Sweet. Talk about it now. <laughs> Talk about it now. I've been watching houses in, in Northside and, um, I watched this particular property be sold for, uh, $65,000, a developer redeveloped it, and it's on the market now for $425,000 with mm-hmm. a 10-year tax abatement on it. Wow. It's, I mean, what what do each, each of you guys find most favorable about our budget that we've got going on right now? Most favorable. Um, we heard the cigarette from you, cigarette tax. Okay. Uh, so in terms of where I've seen some resources go in, mm-hmm. The, the mayor did put some money into the handicapped accessible ramp yes. over at Huguenot Flatwater, and I was so excited that he did that. Um, folks in the 4th District, as well as J-Rock, have led the charge on getting the plans done for that. They're doing community fundraising. 
It is so cool. I hope you guys can see the plans and come check it out. And what it means is somebody who is in a wheelchair can access the kayak area mm -hmm. on their own. Right. Which right now they can't they do. They can't do it. They need significant assistance, um, not so much to get in the water, but to get out of the water. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to be great for our community, great for our parks, and he put some capital money in the budget for that. So I'm really happy to see that. Cool. Quickly from you. Anything? Quickly, that a majority of persons in this town have rebuked the idea that we would increase taxes on the back of folks who are already the highest tax in the region, the amount of $50 million a year. The fact that uh, be inappropriate for me to speak to what council will do, but that publicly they have yeah. conveyed their disappointment and, uh, and uh, that so many folks have said this is not the right remedy. We can all acknowledge what the problem is, but this is not the solution. What have you guys both been doing to represent the growing Hispanic population in your district? Yeah, outstanding question. And uh, your assessment is correct. In Richmond Public Schools, in fact, uh, recently as last last meeting, one of somebody who's been a friend of mine for 15 years, Vilma Seymour. She represents an organization called LULAC, and she addressed she addressed the board, and she was very candid in her critique of RPS and what she characterized as a failure to uh, to account for that our Latino population is now. Uh, booming is, is booming and is one of the principal stakeholder groups, not just in Richmond Public Schools, but in in the city as a whole. Mm -hmm. But here's a statistic for you that I suspect you probably have some familiarity with, and it, it's honestly the most damning statistic relevant to Richmond Public Schools, and uh, it is truly, truly troubling. Specifically, only four, only about four out of ten of our Hispanic or Latino students graduate from Richmond Public mm. Schools, and when you think about at the risk of, uh, at the at the risk of being melodramatic about it, um, when you think about where we're going as a country, and and you think about the haves and the have-nots, and there is an income gap like never before, at least not in modern time, for folks that are not going to graduate from high school, it's yeah. really really scary. Yeah, and right. So uh, so yeah, we um, we've we have got to uh, do a much better job. First and foremost of first and foremost of just doing something I call meeting the customer where they're at. Mm -hmm. Frankly, we do an awful job in rich and public schools by and large. There are outliers, but by and large of meeting the customer where they're where they're at. Um, I could elaborate uh, with welcome opportunity, but understand we're in constraint of time. But. Yeah, we can we can shout them out. You know, translators for the parents who are not in, uh, you know English speakers, having home um, visits, ESL, yes, all those things. One of the things that yeah. we're one of the things that we're gonna we are gonna do, and it's included in our strategic plan, is to develop something that's called a new arrival academy. Mm -hmm. And I really like the word academy because I want it to be somewhere that doesn't sound remedial, doesn't sound like it's a punishment. Mm -hmm. This is somewhere where it's uh, you should be excited to go to. This is you were invited to. It's selective, highly selective. It's VIP. Characterize it however you want. Mm -hmm. But the point is that we say we recognize you just arrived in this country and we'll welcome you here with open arms and we're going to provide you with the kind of uh, with the kind of support system. That um, that this country, when we when we erected the Statue of Liberty um, in the harbor off New York City, said, um, "Bring bring us your 
uh, you're you're tired and you're um, you're weary. Mm-hmm. Wrap around services. That's what Richmond Public Schools needs to do. Yep. Yep. What about you? So um, I think a lot of the needs in our district are within the schools, and I see the schools doing a lot more to improve that and have more translators in the school, which has been a challenge since I was on school board. Um, Some things that I see happening on the city side, um, I sit on the Ambulance Authority Board, Uh and they're doing some outreach to the Latino community because, as you all probably know, there is some fear about reaching out to the different um, authorities. Uh And that can cause a lot of issues if you know mom gets sick and we need to call an ambulance but yeah. we're afraid to call 911 of course so the ambulance authority has been trying to do some events work with um lulac uh-huh. to to get in the community and to educate folks and yeah. to make them build more, that trust more comfortable yeah. around these different agencies and build the bridge okay so real quick maybe uh-huh. 30 seconds each, um, going into the next two years of your term, what are your hopes for your district together and as a city as a whole? We'll let you go first. I would say city as a whole, mm-hmm. trust. And I would say um, for our district, schools, roads, and services. Got it. How about you, Jonathan? Yeah, that we can get all, all of our schools accredited. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we can consolidate some of our school facilities to uh, to allow us to better spend our money. And that three, at the end of the day, three, that we retain our teachers and we retain our teachers only one way. We'll retain our teachers when we treat them like the professionals that they are, mm-hmm. that we get the heck out of the way and we allow them to be the capable, competent professionals that they are. And that means stop teaching to the step test, stop prioritizing SOLs, and instead acknowledge that every teacher teaches in a different way, mm-hmm. and we allow them to uh, to do it uh, in absent tying their hands behind their back. Yeah. I'm going to give a little yes. round of applause yes. for that. Yeah, my mom's a teacher, and I feel it. I feel it. So we just want to thank both of you guys for coming out and sharing with us today in Radio Lane. It's Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock. <laughs> So we really appreciate you guys coming out, um, sharing with us. We invite you guys to reach out to us and come back. If you have anything else you want to share later as we get through budget season and other things that are coming up, mm-hmm. thank you for sitting um, in with us on RVA Durs Municipal Mania. To our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Heard every Wednesday right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Please feel free to hit us up across all social media at RVA Dirt. Flint still has dirty water rps is still not fully funded but we got a budget that's trying to though and richmond is most certainly still racist but we're working on it talk to you next week i don't know why people want something new i drank the tea then i spilt it on you mix the green with the earl gray pure leaf it's a shirt thing little peach by the beach thing went from buckler to grandview hippie this shit you could jam to on the shit and the man too ain't shit that we can't do Looking at you, you looking at me, lost in the thoughts, things we could be, used to with him, you wanna be free, I'm smoking some I'm sipping this tea, I'm looking at you, you looking at me, lost in the thoughts, things we could be.
he could be You still with him You wanna be free I'm smoking some heat I'm sipping this tea I'm looking at you You looking at me Lost in the thoughts Things we could be You still with him You wanna be free I'm smoking some weed I'm sipping this tea